Hey friends, welcome back to the Love and Relationships Podcast. I'm your host, Deborah Faleta, and I'm so glad you're tuning into these candid conversations about love, sex, dating, singleness, and marriage. For those of you who don't know me or are tuning in for the first time, I'm a licensed professional counselor and author specializing in relationship issues. I also run the relationship advice blog, truelovedates.com, reaching millions of people with the message that healthy people make healthy relationships. If you've tuned into the podcast before, you know it's a hotline style show, meaning people call in or write in with their relationship questions, and I answer them on this show in short, practical, bite-sized answers. If you have a question that you want me to answer on the show, send it via email or voice memo to deborah at truelovedates.com or check out my podcast page, truelovedates.com slash love and relationships, and I'll do my best to get it answered on one of the episodes. So let's get started. Today's question comes from Maya from Los Angeles. Hey, Deborah, when it comes to general relationships, how do you know when a relationship is worth working on and how do you know when it's time to walk away? Today on the podcast, I am joined by my friend and incredible pastor and author, Gary Thomas. You've probably heard Gary's name before because he is a prolific author. Gary has published so many books, two of the most notable being The Sacred Marriage, as well as Sacred Search. And in fact, Gary's work had really influenced me when I was still in graduate school, when I was a new counselor. I read so many of his books. So it's exciting for me now to be able to call him a colleague and a friend, and I'm so excited to have Gary joining me to tag team this really important question. Hey, Gary, it's so good to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for taking the time to help me tag team this question. Thanks, Deborah. I'm glad to be here. So, you know, when I was reading through this question, I just thought to myself, okay, how do you know when to walk away? I mean, this couldn't be more perfect to have you on the show because you just released a book called, tell us about it. It's called When to Walk Away, Finding (laughs) Freedom from Toxic People. When to Walk Away. So uh, you're the perfect guest to help me tackle this question because you've just spent so much time immersed in this topic of when to walk away and dealing with toxic people. And I got an opportunity to read your book, I would say probably about this time last year, which goes to show you how long it actually takes for a book to get out there in the world. I don't think people realize it's such a long process. What I sent you was the the first draft, and I like to send it to um, just people that I respect that can that can react and then rework it. So for me, it's a longer process, and it might be for some just because of that. Um, I like to I like to be able to get input before because a lot of times, I, early on, I'd read a review or something. I thought, you know, they have a point. I wish I would have known that before the book came out. Yeah, so. that's a really good. That's a really good suggestion, just to get other eyes on it. And um, I really liked this book as a counselor. You know, Gary's a pastor. I'm a counselor, and but we have so much in common with kind of how we see the world and life and relationships. And I really appreciated the pastoral biblical perspective on toxic relationships, because typically 
I am exposed to the counseling yes. um, psychology piece of walking away and boundaries, but it was really good to have a biblical theological perspective on this topic. What made you even decide to kind of launch into this? It was just a response I was getting uh, in, in regards to a talk I was giving, to be honest. And and I was preached on it one time. And some people said, you've got to preach on that again. And then I did it at a conference. And then it became personal. I had a situation in my life where I just could not break through. I didn't know what to do with this person. I felt like I was over my head. So I was talking to a guy who's been a marriage and family therapist for over 35 years. So he's got a few years on you, (laughs) more than a few. And I was shocked when he said, Gary, I recommend you not engage him. I was like, what do you mean? Because that would feel like a failure. We both would call ourselves Christians. And that's when he pointed me to the book of Luke. He said, I recommend you go to the book of Luke. Count how many times Jesus walked away from someone or let someone walk away from him. And I was enamored. I not only went through that one gospel, I went through all four. My eyes were opened up. I always would have thought it was a failure, that somehow there was something wrong with my offense, i.e. I wasn't surrendered to the spirit. I wasn't walking in obedience. I wasn't hearing God. I wasn't applying scripture. I just wasn't acting out of love. That There's something I did wrong until I realized how much defense Jesus played. Hmm. And if Jesus, who loved perfectly, spoke perfectly, lived perfectly, needed to play defense, then maybe I did too. And so then I I saw a lot of different scriptures that were just lined up together. I've I've quoted Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God more times than I could count. I, I can see my wife's eyes roll. She told me one time, you know, it's possible to preach a sermon without mentioning Matthew 6, 33, but Deborah, it's very hard for me to do it. It yeah. really is hard. And then a few verses later, Matthew 7, 6, so do the math. Um, Jesus said, don't give what is holy to dogs yeah. and throw pearls before swine or yes. else they'll turn and tear you to pieces. And so he sends the church on the offense, seek first my kingdom, but then immediately says, but learn to play a little defense along the way so you're most effective. Somehow I just missed that. For decades, I missed that. And mm. I let misplaced guilt uh, and Toxic people who are very clever have much bigger roles in my life than I ever should have let them. And I just said, I'm done with this and thought maybe others could learn from my mistakes. That's so interesting. Why, I mean, why do you think that you missed that? And why why do so many of us miss that? You know, I guess my leading question is like, what are we taught that kind of causes us to miss this big picture? As well as then following up with that, where do you see clear examples of, of Christ doing that? Because I, I'd want to know, what, what would you say to people who are like, well, Jesus didn't do that. It's not Christ-like to walk away from toxic people. Like, I guess I just want to hear a little bit more of your perspective yeah. on that. Well, for people who wouldn't say that, there's an appendix. I counted 41 citations wow. where Jesus walked away from someone or 41? let someone. That's unbelievable. Yes, or, now, they're not all toxic people, right? but they are situations where he walked away or let others walk away. And because of the synoptic gospels, the three gospels that tell a lot of the same stories, some of those would refer to the same incident, sure, like the rich young ruler. Repeated. Yeah. Um, 
but I, I think the reason that I missed it before is that it's so easy just to read half of the Bible and, and not get the fullness of it. I think I would have defined holiness as piety, what I don't do, my ability to love others, and, and that's key. But Jesus was so focused on mission. He says in John 15, 8, by this is my father glorified, that you bear much fruit. Yeah. He pled with his disciples, pray for more workers. And, and, and you just see the plea. He says, you know what? This is an important work that we're involved in, and there's not enough of us. And it stands to reason if there aren't enough of us, then every one of us who would consider ourselves a worker in God's kingdom need to make the best use of our time because it's limited how many people are with us. And I think with misplaced guilt and uh, that false sense of mission and then just a blindness to how willing Jesus would would let people walk away. I mentioned the rich young ruler. So you asked for examples. Let me give two yeah. for people who are suspicious. The rich young ruler is a great example because one of the gospels says, when, when the rich young ruler came to him and says, well, I have to be saved, I've done all of this, it says Jesus looked at him and loved him. Okay, this isn't a toxic man, but this is someone that Jesus actually cares about. How many times does the scripture say Jesus looked at him and, and loved him? And because he loved him, Jesus spoke a hard truth. You know what? Money has your heart. If you want to be perfect and you asked how to be perfect, I'm using your language, sell everything you have, give it to the poor and come follow me. And then I love it the way the gospel says, yeah, he went away very sad because he was very rich, Yeah, which our, our, our culture doesn't usually combine being very sad and very rich. We think very rich means very glad. And then what is so amazing is that Jesus doesn't chase after him. He doesn't say, look, I know 100% sounds like a lot. Let's start at 50%. I'll disciple you up. Instead, it says he turned to his disciples. If we get into this, the reliable people of 2 Timothy 2.2, of the Great Commission in Matthew 28, he says, let me explain why it's so difficult for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. So when Jesus rises from the dead, he tells his disciples, this is what, this is how you seek my kingdom. Make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And so he's giving his disciples an example of what to do when somebody won't obey what you've commanded them. You, yeah. you walk away and find someone else. Another very clear example is in Matthew chapter eight. It's a story most Christians will be familiar with. A couple men are possessed by demons. Jesus delivers the men from the demons. The demons go into a herd of pigs. Yeah. Pigs run over a cliff. And the town is appalled because their livelihood has literally just crashed. I mean, they could have a fire sale on pork chops and bacon, but <laughs> after that, they're in trouble. Yeah. Now, I think, Deborah, especially those listening to this podcast, I just ask, what would we pay for a ticket? to see Jesus in action over a weekend, to, to hear him talk, to watch what he does, to get to ask him questions. How long would we wait in line to get into that stadium? They had that, Jesus in the flesh. But we're told in Matthew 8, 34, they pleaded with him to leave their region. Right. It was their, go. Matthew 9, 1, it, it's confusing because it sounds like a different chapter, but it's the very next verse, Matthew 9, 1, Jesus got into a boat and sailed to his own town. So he didn't walk away, but he sailed away. It's the same principle. They said, leave. And Jesus said, okay, you're not willing to obey what I've commanded you. I'm going to go find people who are. And this heart of mission is what frees us up to walk away. It's not just walking away 
from toxic or destructive people. It's walking toward reliable people, teachable people, humble people, so that we can reproduce ourselves and create the fruit that God so earnestly desires. Yeah, and the reality is, I think we don't realize that some people don't say, get out of here with their words. They don't plead with us, leave, but they actually are obviously telling us to walk away with their actions. Yes. You know, that's what they're telling us. And we don't see it that way. Um, We try to change them. We try to keep pouring into the relationship. We try to give, 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 hoping that they will change or that we can convince them to change. But what we're not seeing is, even though they're not saying walk away, they're telling us to walk away with how they're living their life and how they're responding to us or not responding to us. And I think that's where Christians need to have a little more wisdom and discretion, have our eyes open to, is this a give and take relationship or is this relationship just taking, 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 and I'm just giving, 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 and it's telling me to walk away with the dynamic of what's happening here. Well, and and I don't want to get sexist because men can do this as well, but I've seen it more often with women where they feel guiltier about walking away. Um, and and I put it this way, which kind of helps them a little bit. Um, I've, I'd love to get your take on this as a counselor, basically saying God hates it when you're treated in a toxic way. And when you're with someone who, for whatever reason, they get joy out of terrorizing you. They get joy out of controlling you. They get joy out of demeaning you. God literally hates what's happening to you. And if they can't make themselves stop hurting you, you serve them and God by walking away because essentially you're saying, you know what? You can't be around me without sinning. I can't stop you from sinning. I can stop you from being around me. So goodbye. If you learn to treat me with respect, then we can interact. But until you do, I'm doing you a favor and I'm and I'm honoring God and pleasing God by not being party to a situation that is hateful to God. And ultimately, if you're a believer, you'll be disciplined for. If you're not a believer, you'll be punished for. Yeah, I really do like that um, that example, because setting a boundary means controlling what you can control. And setting a boundary isn't necessarily forcing somebody to do what you want them to do or telling them to stop. Telling them to stop is a great first step, but you can only set boundaries with what you can control, which is yourself, your body, your words, your response. And so you continuing to engage is not setting a boundary. You know, and that's where we have to be really um, aware of our power in a situation and what that looks like and how we can honor God with our our walking away, with withdrawing, with refusing to engage in a toxic interaction, which actually brings me to the other thing I really wanted to talk about. What are some signs of toxicity? Because the truth is, I personally believe that there are some relationships that are peer relationships. They are equal yes. relationships. They are give and take relationships. I also think there's some other relationships that we're called into for ministry purposes where yes. we're not receiving as much and our goal is just to give. But at the same time, this isn't a relationship that I'm relying on 
to fill me up or to give me right. what I need. It's just, I, I feel called to pour into this person, a mentorship relationship. I think some of the problem is we have too many mentor relationships where we're, we're kind of discipling people or, or pouring out and, and not receiving anything back. And if most of your relationships are relationships in which you're giving and not receiving, there's something seriously wrong about how you're doing relationships. So I just wanted to make sure we clarify that there is a difference. At least I, I believe this, Gary, I'd love to hear what you think, but there's a difference between relationships in which we're just called to pour in um, to people. But then there's other relationships that are that are necessary to be give and take, including dating relationships, marriages, friendships, those type of relationships, we need to make sure they're give and take. So in those peer-to-peer relationships, what are some signs that there's something toxic going on that we need to be aware of and need to start setting boundaries? What have you seen as some signs, Gary? Well, the thing that's made it easier for me, I had um, a counselor like you who reviewed the book and said, are you going to get into the diagnoses of narcissism and personality. And and I didn't because I said, I'm not qualified to do that. I mean, I, I haven't had the counseling background. I don't have the counselor's training. I, I love how you position this book, that it's from a pastor. It's based on biblical truth, but I have great respect for counselors and the need for counselors. So most of us, you know, we, we like to, oh, well, they're classic narcissists or borderline person. You know, we don't always know what we're talking about, but here's what we can say. Yeah. From a biblical perspective, if we focus on mission, is this a wise investment of my time? Mm. Because Jesus said to be fruitful, that that's part of what holiness is, being fruitful. Is this person going to be impacting others in a positive way? Is this the best use of my, or have I been pouring years and years and years of effort and they're no better off and I'm more exhausted and I've missed opportunities to work with others. So that's one. I would say, is this a wise investment? Second, are they destroying you? Mm. It's one thing to give yourself out and to recover. It's like you run a race and you're tired, you rest and you're okay. It's another thing if they're taking little pieces of you. And and this might seem like a gross analogy, but let me try it. Let's say a difficult person is one where you you have a plate full of food that you want to feed everybody. You're, You're a counselor, you're a friend, you just want to give to others. A difficult person might come and completely clear the plate so yeah. there's nothing left for anyone else. You say, well, they're kind of selfish. That's who they are. Yeah. The toxic person says, that's not enough. Cut off your arm and let me chew on that. Yeah. And that's when you have to say, no, that's asking too much because if I let you eat me up, so to speak, there's nothing left for me to reach others. And an analogy that might be helpful, if this sounds horrific to some, is a lifeguard. One of the first lessons they treat lifeguards, particularly in the ocean, is self-defense. Mm-hmm. And why is that? Because when people are drowning, they'll try to drown you, not necessarily intentionally, but out of panic. And so you have to learn how to protect yourself because if you can't protect yourself, you can't save that one person. And if you drown, you lose the chance to save everybody else that's who would good. follow. I like that analogy a lot. That That's just such a good visual for us to to try to conceptualize what this looks like. You know, it's, what's, what's really sad to me is when I see people 
who are so used to unhealthy relationships because they have lived with them in their family of origin. Yes. They have been exposed to them growing up. They have watched toxicity and that has become their norm. And then they go into relationships and they're not phased by toxicity because sometimes it's easier to connect with what's familiar rather than what's healthy. Yes. And that's when it gets really tricky. So if you're looking at your life and you're and, and you're just feeling like there's toxicity all around you, it's important to understand that there's got to be some changes in what you are comfortable with. There's got to be some work done for you to realize that there is a different norm, a different measuring stick that you haven't yet been exposed to because all of these relationships are comfortable. This is what you're used to. And realizing that you've got to pull yourself out of that, get yourself some counseling and really get to the root of why it is that you're so comfortable with these unhealthy, toxic relationships So then you can start setting boundaries and changing the dynamic and moving into healthier relationships. Before you go on, if I could emphasize that, Deborah, please do. And and I I want you to lose what you're clarifying if you want to do that real quick. No, 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 go ahead. Um, That's why counselors like you can be so helpful because when people are used to the what's normal, when it's not normal, they don't know it's not normal. Right. I've read a book. I've you know, fan of distance running, Alberto Salazar, who was a marathoner himself, got really sick. Yeah. And he had this line I'll never forget. He goes, it wasn't until I started to feel well that I realized how sick I was. Hmm. Because he was so used to being physically sick. And yes. then he started to, and, and sometimes if you've been in sick relationships, you don't know what a healthy relationship feels like. So to have a counselor say, you know you're being controlled or you know this is toxic behavior, right? Or you know that's actually abusive. Sometimes people may not realize that. It's just become their world. And so if someone is consistently undercutting your peace or consistently undercutting your self-confidence, so you think you have nothing to give somebody, persistently undercutting your joy, some people might say, well, isn't that selfish if I'm worried about somebody stealing my joy? Not when the Bible says the joy of the Lord is my strength. Because now they're destroying you. They're making you weak to give yourself to others. And that's where, again, they're destroying you. And you've got to be the lifeguard who defends herself before she can save others. So we'll go back to your clarity point. Sorry. And that actually reminded me, I mean, there's a big difference. I talk about this in choosing marriage. There's a big difference between selflessness and passivity. A huge difference. And I think there's so many Christians walking around believing that they're being selfless when they're actually being passive. And passivity is the death and destruction of relationships. You know, I always say there's two parts to every unhealthy relationship. And I know some people cringe at that. And Gary, uh, even when when we were giving some feedback back and forth about your book, you know, I, I remember mentioning, like, I, I really believe even the person who's being treated poorly has a role in this because we've got to understand if we're being passive. We've got to understand our lack of boundaries and realize, like, this isn't selflessness as God wants us to be selflessness. This is just being passive. And this is not a healthy thing. And how do I, how do I learn to stand up for myself and be respectful yet still protect my heart, guard my heart. I love that verse because God gives us full responsibility for our own heart. 
Yes. He says, guard your own heart. It's not anybody else's job to guard it. It's your job to guard it and protect it and care for it because your heart is such an important part of who you are. Your heart is the 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 living quarters of God himself, and it's worth protecting. If you could just see it like that, it is worth protecting God in me and what he is doing in me. That's one thing I really liked about your book is you're, you basically motivate people to protect themselves because inevitably they're protecting God's calling and purpose and mission for their life. And when they let yes. people get in the way of that, they're letting people get in the way of what God is calling them to do. When you think about it like that, it's really hard to feel guilty about walking yeah. away. And that's why I want everyone listening just to have that sense of God's mission, how powerfully God can use them, not because of who they are, but what the Holy Spirit is capable of doing through them. You know, as we're recording this, uh, Houston Astros are in the heart of the, in the World Series. Yeah. And if you've got a starting pitcher and somebody says to him, I really need you to help me move my furniture tonight. It's not selfish for him to say, no, <laughs> I'm being paid millions of dollars to pitch. I can't risk my arm by moving your <laughs> furniture. I'm not going to spend all day hammering to build your house. Well, you're so selfish. I need you to help me build or paint my house. No, because if I paint your house all day, my arm's going to be sore. I can't throw. It's not that he doesn't care about the person. He's just saying, I'm called to this purpose. I've got a pitch. Well, Christian, you're ability and an awareness and self-confidence to reach out and share God's love with others is more important than a starting pitcher in the World Series because that could be eternal. It could bring life. You could help save someone from a destructive relationship. You could help lead someone into a healthy relationship. You could bring God's light and you could bring them to, to Jesus. And so when you respect how important your life is, then preserving that life is simply respecting the mission that God has given you. It is not selfish. It is not narcissistic. And and I, I so agree with you as far as relationships, because what I've seen with some marriages, when people are passive, they're passive, 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 and then they're done. Yeah. And then right. there's no healing. They right. won't go through the process anymore. They said, I put up with this for 20 years. Exactly. And, and what I love about your counsel, because a lot of counselors would say, I understand it. And and I think you would kind of push back, and you can tell me if I'm wrong. Well, why didn't you come here 15 years ago oh, when I would we could deal back. with it? <laughs> you better believe I would push you said, back. I get why you're upset with it, but why did you put up with it you're for 20 years? You're absolutely right. Because when people do that, that's where I see marriages are so hard to put back together because people, they're spent and they're done. Uh, and so I, I think it, it is better to have a little self-preservation there before you completely run out of your willingness and ability to go on. Yeah, the passivity is just as detrimental as the aggression. They, they, they're like two pieces of a puzzle. You can't have one without the other. And so it's really important to recognize our role because that's what boundaries are. It's not saying this person is A, B, and C. It's, it's realizing, okay, what's my role in this and how do I protect myself and get healthy? I had to laugh when you talked about the pitcher analogy because my husband is a cornea transplant surgeon. You know that, Gary. And the day before surgery, he says no to pretty much everything anyone asks him to do that might mess up his arms or hands or whatever. Yeah. Like, would you move something for me? Uh, he's like, no, but I will pay someone. I'll hire someone to do it, but I'm yes. not doing it. 
You know, he can't risk it. He just doesn't want to be sore or weak the next day for surgery. So it's true. You got to really do what you need to do to protect what God has called you to do. The last thing I want to discuss is the caveat of what does it look like to walk away in dating and to walk away in marriage. I'm going to preface this by saying, I know whatever we say, I don't even know what we're going to say, but whatever we say is going to step on toes because it always does. Yes. But I think it's important to clarify. The other day, someone on Instagram kind of reamed me out because I gave different advice for dating relationships than I give in marriage relationships. But in my opinion, dating relationships are extremely different than marriage. Yes. Related. One's permanent, one's not necessarily permanent. I mean, there it, it has to be different. No matter how much hate mail I get, it's different. And it's something that we need to talk about and, and kind of put some clarifiers on what we think. And, and so let's start with dating, okay? Let's just start with dating. Um, Gary, what do you think it looks like to walk away in a dating relationship? There, there are a couple ways I could look at that. So I want to elicit some more information from you. Okay. But I mean, I, I, I guess just basically walking away in a dating relationship is saying we're no longer dating. I want to be open to meeting other people. Yeah. Um, I, I think we need to be clear and definitive about that. I yes. think where you see a lot of hurt in dating is, you know, maybe in six months or if we don't. You know, I, I, no, I think, I think you've got to be very precise and clear and direct. I agree about what's going on. I think I get nervous when people try too hard to make a dating relationship work. I think you try as hard as you can, harder than you can, relying on God's power to make a marriage work. Yes. But if you're fighting through things in dating, I get really nervous then when a couple is, uh, it's like they've just decided they want to be married and they're going to make this relationship work and they kind of recognize it's probably not working, but I'm going to, you know, do what I can to make it work. And that's that's when I get very nervous. Absolutely. You know, think about it this way. When you go to the electronics store and you buy an iPad and you spend tons of money on it, and the first couple days you bring it home and it's got bugs and viruses and it's not working and things are acting up, you bring it right back to that store, right? Yes. But when it's been 10 years and the return policy has expired... You don't bring it back then and say, you know, well, now I'm going to try to return it because usually you can't at that point. And that's part of the difference between dating and marriage. It's like in dating, you've got to understand when something's off right away, there's a huge problem. Like this signifies that this product, this iPad is going to be broken for the rest of time if it's already broken now. I mean, it hasn't even been months. It hasn't even been days. And I'm seeing issues that's a red flag that it's time to 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 take this back and realize, okay, if this is already not working, there's a good chance it's going to continue not working. Yeah. Oftentimes in marriage, the problems come out later. They emerge later. They emerge through the process. They emerge through two human beings rubbing against each other for life and our sin and our struggle. And there's a different way of handling it at that point. Not to say you don't handle it. You absolutely do handle it. You you deal with it. You address it. It's just going to look different than if you're handling it at the get-go. Yeah. Um, I, would, I would even add when you say most of the time issues, I would say in every marriage, there will be issues that you didn't see before. Yes. Marriage is a little bit of a dance. You know, we put up a front. 
maybe if the person was just wicked, you could have been conned. But I think in more often, it's just we're not as vulnerable or we don't see it or we're infatuated. And so our eyes are a little bit, you know, glazed. Totally. So you're going to have to deal with issues you don't realize you're going to have to deal with when you know you're dealing with those issues. It, it, it's like I tell dating couples all the time. If he's a little too angry for you when you're dating, he will be way too angry when you get married. Yes. Because dating gives you an opportunity to cool off. Dating creates more space than marriage does. So if you know you don't like being around an angry man and you are sometimes scared by his anger when you're dating, you will be terrified by his anger when you're married. And so that's when I think you you just walk away. Now, the reasons people don't walk away, well, I'm afraid what he might do. Let me say this. One, if you're afraid that what he might do if you break off a dating relationship, then you are now cementing your life to a guy that terrifies you. In fear. You're cementing your life in fear. And I, I don't recommend you separate on your own if you're a little bit afraid. You need to go to a counselor who has experience with yeah. safe separations. Yes. But, but it's not. And then the other thing I hear is, well, I don't want to throw away the last three years. One, I don't look at it. God uses every one of our experiences to help you grow, to help you understand. But to suggest, I'm going to try to make a relationship work that clearly isn't working because I don't want to waste three years. I get the emails from them three years later. Okay, it can't work. We're getting a divorce. Okay, now it's been six years. You're going to have to recover. And it's just... It's just foolish to recognize it. It's like I made an investment. I've lost $10,000. So I'm going to pour another $100,000 in there. Maybe that will work. And you're like, you know, no, you're going to lose the future. So I think if we're grounded in who God created us to be, and by that, I, I don't mean some religious thing. I, I mean the, the truth of what Paul says in Colossians that we are, or sorry, Ephesians, that we are chosen and dearly loved that God promises to help us to be our keeper, to be our companion, to be our guide, to be our provider. When we know who we are in Christ, we have more freedom and courage to walk away from those who would try to hurt us or those who are draining us. I remember yes. talking to one woman, and I don't know that he was necessarily toxic, but he was very selfish and a narcissist. And she felt like God was calling her to another ministry. And I warned her. If you marry him, he becomes your ministry. Mm. He's not going to free you up to minister to others. He's going to resent Man, every evening good. you're away. And so unless you think, okay, God has created you to serve him, then, okay, go ahead and marry him. But if you think God has given you this other call, you're rejecting your call by marrying him. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I really like that. I mean, I don't believe we were made to serve our spouse as our primary ministry. I mean, God, of course we serve our spouses, but but man, to just continue fueling unhealth and toxicity for life, there's so much more that God has made us to do. And, and, and in, in fact, a marriage is supposed to be two people who are better together, two people who are serving God in bigger ways together, not yes. two people who are so immersed in the the problems and toxicity in their own marriage that they can't see anything outside of it. So that's key. So so moving forward to, to talking about marriage a little bit, and I'll start with tackling this one. And Gary, you can add what you feel led to add, but I don't want to put you in the line of fire, but I'll put myself in it. <laughs> but basically... When it comes to marriage, uh, one thing Gary alluded to earlier that I think is really important is that 
there's so many people who are in toxic relationships that are passive, 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 boom, I'm done. Yes. And when I approach somebody who's on the receiving end of toxicity, I always say to them, we don't go from A to Z when it comes to how we handle toxic people because we've missed all of the steps in between, B through Y. Like we've got to start with B, C, D, E. There's so many different things you can do, so many different boundaries you can start to set, so many different opportunities to protect yourself within a toxic relationship. But most people aren't aware of all those things they can do. So they literally go from A, passivity, to Z, I'm done. Yes. And there has got to be somebody walking you through all of the steps in the middle to make sure that you are doing everything you can to protect yourself, to keep yourself from harm, to set boundaries, to deal with the root issues that cause you to continue engaging in toxic relationships. Because if you don't deal with those things now, guess what? You're going to enter yet another toxic relationship after yes. another toxic. Like, you've got to start by fixing your job, your role in this, your piece to the puzzle. And that's what begins to change everything else. So, I am not an advocate for instant divorce when you are in a toxic relationship. I'm an advocate for instant protection instant boundaries, instant taking care of yourself and setting people around you to protect you, getting an army of people who love and support you. And then when we have that in place, we do every next step until we get to Z. I'm not saying Z never comes because there are many times that separation has to happen and there are many times that divorce has to happen. But we're not going to go from A to Z without putting up a fight from B to Y. There are so many other steps. And that's where it is crucial to find yourself a therapist who can walk with you on the journey of every other step that you may have not realized that you need to do. Anything you want to add to that, Gary? Yeah. To distinguish between toxic behavior and toxic people. I yeah. think that's what you did indirectly. Uh, a person that is generally good-natured might act in a toxic way. And if they have humility, they can leave the toxicity behind. That's different than someone who legitimately wants to terrorize you, that takes a sick pleasure from hurting you and destroying you. That's where I, I, I think you see more the need for permanent separation. But I, I give an example in the book in the controlling chapter, which it's very e evil to want to control someone. And a wife came in and she was being controlled. At, I don't have time to get into it here because I know we're, we're running on. But I think anybody would say that is so inappropriate and controlling. And she went on and on and her husband didn't correct her. He didn't defend himself. He just sat there. And I looked at him. I'll call him Frank. It's not his real name. So Frank, what, what do you have to say? And he said, everything she just told you is true. Now, I didn't say this out loud because I never know, but in my mind, I was thinking this marriage might be able to be saved because when I see humility, I can see God heal. Yeah. When a man has humility, when a man, and so what we did is we say, okay, the, the toxic controlling ends today. And I set it up. You don't get to contact. He, she had gotten an apartment to move out. She really needed a separation. She's being suffocated. And I said to him, this is your fault. You cause this, you move into the apartment, she gets the house. 
And I go, and you can't contact her unless she contacts you. If she texts you, you can respond to the text. If she doesn't text back to your response, you don't do it. I don't want you to send her Bible verses. That will sound controlling. <laughs> it, it don't try to, I just. You're my kind of in, pastor. <laughs> right. She, she's in control for right now. Yeah. And, and he told me it was the hardest thing he ever had to do, but he knew that he had to repent. He knew it was right. And I said to him, Here's when you know you have grown. When you say to yourself, I don't want, not again, her real name, Alexandra to come back unless I know she's not going to be controlled. I love her so much. I want to make sure she doesn't come back to me. We don't live together again unless she can do it without me controlling her because it is so hurtful for her to be controlled. And today, this marriage has been tested years Great relationship, intimate relationship. They love each other. They're developing a ministry as they give their testimony. But the difference was humility. The problem with a toxic person is that they don't think they need humility. They think you're the problem. Right. And I I just recently had a, a tooth pulled because I'd had a root canal that went bad. It got infected. They fixed it. It was infected underneath again. And the dentist told me, Gary, you travel a lot. It could come out at any time. You really just need to get the tooth taken out. Well, it is not pleasant as an adult to get a tooth pulled. Yeah, Let me put it that way. I believe and it. And if I if I'd woken up and somebody strapped me to a chair and yanked that tooth out, I mean, I would be screaming. I would be fighting. I would say, I want you in jail. Instead, I paid this oral <laughs> surgeon $990 to, to do that. To torture you. <laughs> Why? Because I knew I had an infection. Yes. I saw the infection on the x-ray and I said, get it out of there. A person who's acting in a toxic way by God's conviction says, I have an infection. God, whatever it takes, however painful, remove this infection. That marriage can be healed. Where you see a problem is when somebody says, I don't have an infection. You have an infection. In fact, everybody else in the world has an infection and their infection is they think I have an infection. Then you know, well, okay. There's, there's not much hope for this relationship absent humility. Yeah, outside of humility, you're absolutely right. I love that. And guys, for more details, I'm going to list um, in the show notes a list of toxic traits. Like we're going to get specific for those Good. of you who are wondering. And I want you to read that list in two ways. Number one, I want you to read it and say, do I see this stuff in any of my relationships? And what do I need to do about it? Number two, I want you to look at it and say, do I see any of these traits in how I do relationships in my own life? Um, because you may be the one who is who is struggling with toxic traits. And, and that's something to overcome while you're single. That's something to start working on instantly that will start making changes in your marriage and in your relationships. So I really appreciate this conversation, Gary, and I really appreciate your heart for tackling the hard issues and not shying away from them. And um, just thank you so much for for joining us today to answer this question. Well, I, I appreciate your kinship in the gospel, Deb. I feel like you're a, a sister in Christ, a fellow warrior. Um, I, like I've mentioned in the books, if people haven't read whether I an acknowledgement or something. I just, you bring a real gift because you've got the counselor's understanding and you have, you know, you are so committed to the scriptures and you join the both of those. You see with two eyes. Um, and so it's fitting that your husband is good at having great physical eyes and keeping them healthy because I feel like you do that for us spiritually. 
So you guys are are the the power couple couple for the kingdom of God. I love that picture, Gary. I mean, that that was honestly, that picture is so significant. I I never thought of it in that way, Um, but that that was a word from God and that, that means a lot to me. So thank you so much. God bless you and Lisa and your family. And I am sure we'll have you back on the podcast soon. Looking forward to it. Take care. Thanks so much for tuning into the podcast today. It was so fun to chat with you about love and relationships. No matter what your relationship status, if you're looking to go deeper with healthy relationships, I invite you to check out my books, True Love Dates, Choosing Marriage, or my brand new book, Love in Every Season. You can find out more information about those as well as hundreds of articles and in-depth courses over at my blog, truelovedates.com. I love connecting with you. So please find me on Facebook or Instagram at True Love Dates and give me a shout out. If you have a love and relationship question on your mind, reach out to me at truelovedates.com slash love and relationships. If you're loving what you're hearing on this show, be sure to subscribe and leave us your five-star review because it makes all the difference in getting the word out. I'm Deborah Faleta, and it was so great being together again today, and I can't wait to chat with you next week. Take care.